Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. I'm really pleased that you decided to join us today for our online class as part of the group learning program. Today is Wednesday where we do breathing mindfulness meditation, loving kindness meditation, or Buddhist chanting. Today is our day to do breathing mindfulness meditation. In the last two weeks, I've refreshed and reviewed members of this group learning program of what breathing mindfulness meditation is and why we're doing it and actually how to do it. And I did the same thing for loving kindness meditation last week. So today we're gonna go back to what we would normally do, which is just to go right into meditation as a group, because this is our time to come together to encourage, support, motivate each other, come together as a community and do meditation together. This is an opportunity for you to connect in with a community of practitioners, to be able to learn all the Buddhist teachings as part of our classes on Sunday, Wednesday, and then on Saturday as well, but then also on these Wednesdays, we reserve this time to do meditation together. After meditation, we'll open things up to any questions that anybody has, whether you're seeing this on Facebook, YouTube, or if you're in Zoom, you'll be able to ask questions live and get help with your meditation practice or any of the teachings of the Buddha along the path to enlightenment. So we'll open up to questions after meditation. But for now, I'd just like to invite you to pull up a meditation cushion or a chair or whatever it is that you would like to meditate with. The positions of meditation are seated, lying, standing. There's also walking meditation, but that's not usually possible during a live stream, so we don't necessarily do that. But if you'd like to take a position seated on the floor or seated in a chair, if you'd like to take a lying position or a standing position, all of these can be used in order to do this guided breathing mindfulness meditation. Your lower body should be comfortable, not luxurious, not painful, but comfortable. If you're sitting on the floor, that might mean to put a cushion under your rear and get your rear up to lessen the angle at your hips, your knees, and your ankles. If you're in a chair, it's just putting your lower body in the chair. Maybe your feet are crossed at the ankles or maybe the feet are flat on the floor. Totally up to you. There's not just one way to do this. It's about finding what's comfortable, but not luxurious and not painful. Your hands and arms should be in your lap. The Buddha placed his right hand over his left with his thumbs together, and then he placed that in his lap. But that may not be comfortable for you. So there you can put maybe your palms on your thighs, on the knees. You can put your arms on the armrest of the chair. Totally up to you how you would like to do that. Your upper body should be nice and erect, where the muscles around the spine are engaged. Not real rigid, but not slumped either. In the middle, erect. 
By keeping the upper body erect, this allows the mind to stay attentive and alert during meditation because this is an active, dedicated, purposeful training session where we're applying effort and energy to actively train the mind. So you need the mind to stay attentive and alert during the meditation. Once your body is in position, just close the eyes, start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. This should just be a natural, normal breath of breathing in through the nose. Whenever you experience the full inhale, then exhale out through the nose. Your breath isn't going to necessarily sync up with the guidance that I'm providing. This guidance is just here to help you this is your practice you're doing the work here i'm just here to provide you some guidance to help you along so breathe in through the nose and out through the nose breathing in nice natural breath and out The breath shouldn't be forced, it shouldn't be controlled. Just a nice, natural breath. Breathing in and out. Start bringing the mind's awareness to the breath. The sound of the air entering into the nose or the sensation of air moving into the nose over the skin. Fixate the mind on the breath. This is the present moment. Breathing in and out. Breathing in experiencing the full breath and gradually breathe out experiencing the full exhale keeping the mind focused on the breath breathing in and out I'm going to do some chanting to ease us into meditation a bit. If you know these chants, you're welcome to chant along. Then I'll be back with some more guidance after chanting. Sāvākātō-mākavātātamo-dāmāng-namāsāmī 
सुपथिपनो भगवत सवक संघो नपोरसगवत हर तो संभुत सपोरसगवत हर तो संभुत स नपोरसगवत हर तो संभुत सीतिपीसो महकवा हार चरण सुनो सखा तो गीतो अनु तेरो पुरी सावा मनु स्न तो okay, you should be breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. A nice, natural, steady, consistent breath. experiencing the full breath on the inhale and the exhale the mind should be fixated to the breath the sound of the breath or the sensation of air moving into the nose wherever you notice that the mind is not on the breath it's not in the present moment cut that off let it go bring the mind back to the breath the present moment breathing in and out breathing in in out as you're developing mindfulness or awareness of mind and you notice that the mind is not on the breath you haven't done anything wrong no need to feel guilty or shameful This is the mind having craving, desire, attachment. So when you notice that the mind's in the past, 
in the future, having thoughts, ideas, perceptions. When you're in meditation, you don't judge that thought. You don't try to analyze it or figure out where it even came from. You just cut it off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in. And out. Breathing in. And out. I'm going to leave you here to do this work. Developing mindfulness, awareness of the mind, fixating it on the breath, the present moment. And then when you notice there's craving, desire, attachment, you cut it off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. So I'm not even interested in the mind holding on to this voice. So I'm going to be quiet so you can do this work. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. Just focus on the breath. Breathing in. And out.
slowly start making your way out of meditation just kind of ease the body and the mind back so keep in mind that this meditation is to develop mindfulness or awareness of mind you should start becoming more and more aware when the mind is not on the breath and that time should get shorter and shorter that you're noticing it and wherever you notice that the mind's not on the breath, you cut it off, let it go, and come back to the breath. And over time, that will get easier and easier to let go of whatever the mind's holding on to and bring it back to the breath. This becomes really useful in daily life because as things are happening in your daily life, as discontentedness arises or you see other things that are happening, you'll be able to easily cut it off and let it go and bring the mind back. You're going to have thoughts, you're going to have ideas, you're going to have views and opinions. These are really important in daily life. You're going to need these in order to conduct your life and make wise decisions. 
So you're not cutting off your thoughts in daily life when you're having some idea to start a new business or to improve your home or do something or another. But what you're doing is in daily life when you notice unwholesome thoughts arise. Oh, I want to just kill my ex-husband or I want to kill my mother-in-law or I want to kill my neighbor. You know, anything, any kind of unwholesomeness. If you're feeling like stealing or doing sexual misconduct or lying or taking substances that cause heedlessness. If you're noticing that you're gossiping or you're talking harshly or aggressively, or if somebody says something and you feel the anger starting to arise, when you notice all these unwholesome things happening in others, that's what you cut off and you let go. And know that that's not going to lead to any beneficial results, so you cut it off, you let it go, and bring the mind back. But in daily life, when you're having wholesome thoughts, then yeah, go with that. You need to be able to develop ideas and thoughts and ways of doing things, but you don't want to hold on to those things so tightly that it's going to cause discontentedness if you plan to do something and then you're not able to do that. If you're holding that too tightly, the mind's going to experience discontentedness. So training the mind like this in meditation to easily let go will actually benefit you in daily life. Training in meditation like this to have awareness to have awareness of mind and know what thoughts are arising and that there is thoughts arising. Oh, and they're unwholesome. Let me get rid of those. That's where the benefit of this meditation comes in is that you develop this awareness. You know what's going on in the mind at all times. And whenever you see something unwholesome outside of meditation, you cut it off and let it go. In meditation, anything that arises, either wholesome or unwholesome, you cut it off and let it go because this is your dedicated training. But outside of meditation, you're just cutting off the unwholesome stuff. It's kind of like a soldier. They're going to do push-ups, sit-ups, jumping jacks to train their muscles and make them really strong in training. But then when they're outside in daily life, they're going to be using those muscles to their benefit to help them. So in your path to enlightenment, you're training this mind. You're training this mind in meditation to cut off all thoughts, unwholesome or wholesome. But then in daily life, you're only cutting off the unwholesome thoughts because then that makes it easy for you to not create unwholesome decisions that are going to lead to unwholesome results. But as you're having wholesome thoughts, practicing generosity, having loving kindness, having compassion, helping people ideas about how to guide your family or ideas about taking a holiday or improving your home or your dwelling, improving your relationships. These are helpful, beneficial thoughts. So you would like to flush those out and continue those. So that's how this meditation becomes helpful to you in daily life. Let me turn things over to you guys for any questions that you might have, whether you're in Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Just put your question into the comment section. Our moderators will see that. If you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions directly or any follow-up questions. Hi, David. We talked Sunday about mental illness. And I was wondering, can you speak about the role and value of breathing mindfulness meditation and addressing the thoughts and emotions that are oftentimes labeled as mental illness? 
Yeah, so this idea that sadness, stress, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, excitement, lack of concentration, not being able to focus on one thing, any of these kind of thoughts that are out there in the world today that says if somebody's experiencing this, this is a mental illness, it's not true. It's a false premise. The idea that has come about in the last few decades is that if there's sadness in the mind and that is prevalent for any period of time, oh, this person's depressed, they're mentally ill, their brain is defective, their chemistry in their brain is off, we need to give them medications because they're mentally ill. This isn't true. It's that there's craving, desire, attachment in the mind and this craving, desire, attachment is producing pleasant feelings, painful feelings, feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, and that is influencing the brain chemistry. And because of that, the person's mind is experiencing either sadness, stress, anxiety, extreme excitement. There's maybe a lack of concentration. The mind hasn't been trained to focus on just one thing. So therefore, whether it's ADD, ADHD, depression, bipolar, uh, schizophrenia, anorexia, bulimia, PTSD, all of these things can be traced back to an untrained mind, an unenlightened mind. And while today people are labeling this as mental illness, they're not actually ill. They're experiencing suffering. They're experiencing anguish. They're having some difficulties conducting life. Their experiences are, are not feeling comfortable and satisfying. There's lots of dis satisfaction in the mind. But if the person keeps thinking they're mentally ill and that their brain is defective, therefore I need to live with these feelings for the rest of my life and I'm relegated to this medicine, then you're never going to get well because you've adopted the thinking that your brain is defective. But if you understand that all of this stuff is impermanent, and you understand that it's craving desire attachment that's causing these dissatisfaction in the mind and this unsatisfactory experiences, then it's just a matter of training the mind to become stable and steady and focused with clarity. Using meditation to eliminate craving desire attachment, arise mindfulness, and practice all the other steps on the Eightfold Path by training the mind in this way, then you realize that these symptoms that we're categorizing and calling mental illness are actually can be completely eliminated, that the mind is not ill at all. Again, the mind is unwell. It's just a false premise that it's a defective brain. It's just like in the old days, we used to put cocaine in sodas and we thought that was a good thing, you know, a little over a hundred years ago. And somewhere along the line, people figured out, oh, oh, oh this, was, this is wrong. We shouldn't be doing this. Uh, let's stop putting cocaine in our sodas. And at one point in the past, we used to use heroin as pain relievers. And we would take heroin in order to relieve pain. And somewhere along the lines, we were like, whoa, 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 whoa. That, that, that's not working. That's not right. We shouldn't do that. Look at all these people getting addicted to heroin. We've got to stop that. Well, today, there's still this unknowing of true reality. There's this ignorance, this delusion, this confusion that sadness is a mental illness, that anxiety is a mental illness, that stress is a mental illness, that hearing voices 
in the mind is a mental illness. That having a craving to be beautiful is a mental illness. Having a craving to die is a mental illness. No, 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 no. This isn't a mental illness. Yeah, those people are experiencing suffering and anguish. Their life is experiencing some difficulties. That's real. That's 100% real. But it's just because the mind is untrained. And through training and meditation, along with all the other teachings, the mind becomes focused, it becomes clear, you develop memory, you develop concentration. Any of these cravings can be eliminated. Craving to look beautiful, and therefore someone's anorexia or bulimia, they can eliminate that. Or if somebody's called you negative names, that you're fat or ugly or whatever, and now you have developed an eating disorder because you no longer want to hear those painful things. Well, when you start to understand that that's the mind craving to never hear painful things from people and you realize that that person is just lacking wisdom, moral conduct and mental discipline, then as you come into these teachings, you can realize like, hey, having this craving to not eat or having this craving to make myself vomit in order to get really skinny is only going to lead to harmful things in my life. So let me train the mind in meditation to eliminate that craving. So this whole eightfold path is going to train the mind to move in the direction of being in the middle where it performs optimally, no longer experiencing these symptoms that people are categorizing as mental illness, but they're really not. And today where we take this medication thinking that somehow this is going to improve things, we're going to realize that the cocaine in the sodas wasn't improving anything. Let's get rid of that. This heroin in our pain relievers, it's not going to improve anything. It's actually making things worse. Let's get rid of that. Oh, all this medicine that we're taking to try to affect brain chemistry. Oh, this isn't working. Look at how everybody's uh, strung out on medications and we're experiencing more and more and more problems in the world. Let's stop doing this and do what actually works and leads to a permanent solution, which is the path to enlightenment. And meditation, whether it's breathing mindfulness meditation or loving kindness meditation, and all the other teachings on this path is what works to get to that permanent, peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. This is where you can see the truth for yourself. It's not belief. It's not a religion. It's not faith. It's learning, discovering the truth, acquiring wisdom, practicing those teachings. And then as you see the mind become more and more peaceful, you know it's the truth, that it's working. And now we're enough decades into this mental health crisis where people have either chosen to take medicine or not, but people are seeing that, hey, I've been on medications for 20 years and my mind's not in any better condition than it was 20 years ago, or my life is not in any better situation than it was 20 years ago. So if this medication is working, I gave it 20 years to work and it didn't work. So now more and more people are starting to realize what they're doing isn't working and they're looking for other things. And that's what I did after 24 years of being told I had a bipolar disorder, I had panic disorder, I had personality, borderline personality disorder. They were even talking about schizophrenia at one point. 
even muscular sclerosis. They said I wouldn't be walking in another 10 years. That was eight years ago. All those symptoms are completely gone through this path. And you can see the truth for yourself as you discover that these medicines aren't working. You can choose to start building up your life practice on this path. And as you see the steadiness, the calmness, the peacefulness move into the mind, you can observe it for yourself, even when the medicines are there. And then you can start slowly decreasing your medicines as you increase your life practice. You can slowly decline that stuff. And one of the things that's really interesting is some of the students who are studying with me and are involved in this, as they're going to their doctors and their therapists and things like this, the doctors and therapists are noticing that their mind is more calm and more peaceful. And the doctors are asking them, like, what are you doing differently? There's something you're doing differently. The last three to six months, your mind is much more stable than it has been over the last few years. And they're like, oh, I'm learning Buddhist teachings and meditation. And some of those therapists and doctors are really supportive and like, wow, well, you're doing a great job, you know, keep doing it. So this is how slowly but surely, just like a virus spreads around the world, these teachings will start to spread gradually and slowly as more and more people come to realize that this is a way to create stability and peacefulness in the mind. And as you do, that stability and peacefulness is permanent. It's a permanent solution, unlike the things that we're doing today. Yes, it seems today that the Western approach is to use medicine for the brain, whereas, as you mentioned, it's not the brain that's defective, but the way that we use and relate to it, which is exactly what breathing mindfulness meditation moves to address. Yeah, it really requires an understanding about this untangible, non-physical mind is separate from this brain, from this physical brain. These two things are, are separate. So if we think about this box of the brain, and then you think about this, even though it's intangible, this box of the mind, and then inside the mind, there's these feelings that get produced as a result of craving, desire, and attachment. And we get these painful feelings, pleasant feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. And as that happens, it influences the brain chemistry and it can throw off the brain chemistry as the mind is experiencing these feelings. As long as you're over here trying to mess with the brain chemistry, that brain chemistry is going up and down and fluctuating because it's impermanent. And as you're introducing medications, you can't get to a balanced brain chemistry with these impermanent substances and chemicals. So you're over here tinkering with brain chemistry. All the while, brain chemistry isn't what produces sad feelings. Brain chemistry isn't what produces harsh speech. Brain chemistry isn't what produces concentration. So if we train this mind, this intangible mind, and we train it to be focused and concentrated with clarity, we train it to produce wholesome intentions, speech and actions, we train it to have mindfulness, awareness of mind. We train it to have effort and apply effort to improvement. We train it to have concentration. We train it to have energy. We train it to have loving kindness and compassion, sympathetic joy, equanimity. You know, we can keep on going down the line. If we train this mind to have all these wholesome qualities, 
then the thoughts and the feelings in the mind are going to be purified. The mind is purified. It's cleaned up. And with this optimal performing mind, the brain chemistry will balance itself out. We don't have to do anything invasive with chemicals in order to fix the brain chemistry because the brain chemistry isn't what's causing the problems. It's the craving, anger, and ignorance or unknowing of true reality that's causing the problems in the mind. Once we start eradicating the pollution of the mind and the mind becomes purified, the brain chemistry will balance itself out. It seems that oftentimes mental illnesses are associated with not being in the present moment, whether that's depression pulling one to the past or anxiety pulling one toward the future. Whereas in breathing mindfulness meditation, we can learn to reside in the present moment and that seems in itself to be a very effective way of addressing many of these issues. Exactly. You know, we can take any situation. Uh, let's just take a really big problem that I hear about in America as mass shootings. It seems like there's just been a proliferation of those things. Uh, when I was growing up, there was none of those things. And then there was the first one. And then now it's just been a cascading event. And I imagine this produces a lot of fear in American population that you're never quite sure when you go out into the public what's going to happen. So let's just take something like that. Somebody going into a store or a school or something and their anger has boiled over so much that they feel like going in and just killing massive number of people is somehow going to make it better. Right. This is the ignorance. This is the unknowing of true reality. This is what the Buddha taught as part of his teachings, that if you understand that killing other human beings, that first precept, that very first precept, if you understand killing other beings is causing harm to them, therefore harm is going to come to you, and you see that deeply with wisdom, then you would not resort to when you get angry Going out and killing people is somehow going to make that better. That's the delusion. That's the confusion. That's the ignorance, the unknowing of true reality, the lack of wisdom. If somebody understands these teachings, if they have wisdom, if they're starting to eradicate this ignorance, then they know when they get angry, oh, that's me. That's my craving, desire, attachment. But if you lack that understanding, when you get angry and now with wrong view, you blame it on society. And you think it's society's fault. It's my teacher because she failed me in ninth grade. Or it's my boss's fault that he fired me or she fired me. Or it's because I don't have enough money in my job and I'm suffering because I don't have enough money. So it's society's fault. Or it's these, um, these immigrants in our country that are causing me to be poor and they're the problem. So now let me go out into the world and kill a bunch of those people and that's going to make everything better. That's wrong view and that's because of the lack of wisdom. That's the ignorance, the unknowing of true reality. So these people who are going out and doing mass shootings, if we called them mentally ill, okay, yeah, their mind isn't functioning well, but it's not because of their brain chemistry. It's because they're lacking wisdom. They're lacking that understanding of that anger that they're experiencing in the mind is really coming from their own craving, desire, attachments. They want something. They don't realize that their moral conduct is the reason why their teacher gave them an F and failed them. 
They don't realize it was their moral conduct and their unwise decisions that their boss fired them. They don't realize that it's not these immigrants that are taking your jobs that the reason why you're lacking money, it's other reasons. There's lots of reasons why. But as long as you want more money and you can't be satisfied and content with what is, as long as you're wanting, desiring, craving for it, and you're blaming society for your anger, you're going to continue to be angry. When you recognize that it's your own craving, desire, attachments that are causing all of these problems in your life, now you can focus on the real problem, which is improving your mental health, improving your wisdom, moral conduct, and mental discipline. And when you improve that, then these suicidal thoughts go away, now your interest to go out and kill other people goes away because you're no longer thinking of unwholesome things. You start making better decisions in your jobs and in your schools and you start getting better results because now you're speaking to people politely, kindly, friendly, respectful. You're, you're performing well in your job because you're treating people well and you're getting more and more concentration. The more that your mind is trained, you're getting more memorization, you're getting more concentration so you can perform in your job better because you're making better decisions. So instead of getting fired because of your moral conduct and your lack of mental discipline and your lack of wisdom, instead of getting fired for that, now when you start training in these teachings and you understand true reality because of the wisdom that you've cultivated, and because you now are making wise decisions, now you're going to start getting promoted and people are going to want you to work and people are going to ask more of you. So this is how you take a situation that people are not being taught true reality. They're being taught that their brain is defective. And now that gives me an excuse for my conduct. Oh, well, you know, I can be angry to everybody because that's my brain being defective and now, like, I'm just going to go around and be angry and talk uh, vengeful and resentful to people. And, and that's acceptable because I'm mentally ill. No, that's not what the real problem is here. The real problem is, is that you haven't been taught and you haven't taken the time to gain wisdom, improve your moral conduct, and improve your mental discipline. And when you do that, you'll see that you're not mentally ill. It's challenging. It's hard work. But as you do, you'll see that you can make wiser and wiser decisions. The condition of the mind improves and the condition of your life improves. And this is where the mind becomes liberated. You, you feel so free because all of this time you're going around thinking you're mentally ill and your brain's defective. You're relegated to these medications, very expensive medications, very expensive office visits to the doctor, not to mention the time involved in going to doctor's appointments after doctor's appointments, medication after medication, all the side effects from these things. When you eliminate all that stuff from your life, the mind can break through and it's like it takes a, a few breaths of fresh air and you can get liberated from this wrong view that you're mentally ill or that your brain is defective. And you can get liberated from that and be like, whoa, I can solve all of these challenges that I'm facing. The lack of concentration, I can fix that. Or the anger that I had, I can fix that. Or the harsh speech and the way that I don't talk polite to people and I'm disrespectful, I can fix that. 
And as I fix that and I become more polite, kind, friendly, and respectful, then people are going to be polite, kind, and friendly, respectful to me too. The reason why people are going around being impolite, unkind, unfriendly, and disrespectful to me is because that's the way I am with them. So as soon as I improve my conduct, over time, other people will improve their conduct too. And you can see slowly but surely, you can put your life together and you can have a more wonderful life than you ever imagined because now you deeply understand these natural laws of existence where in the past, a person who's experiencing what we call mental illness, they're struggling. And I struggled for many, many years. I struggled for 44 years through life. 24 of that was on medications, but I struggled because I didn't understand the natural laws of existence. Can you imagine going through this life for 44 years, not understanding the natural law of gravity? Every time you stood up, you fell back down. Every time you got on a bicycle, you broke your head, broke your elbow, broke your arm. Every time you put you know, your phone or something in a certain place, you just held it out and you dropped it and it broke. And you're like, why did that happen? I just put my hand out and I let my phone go and it fell down and it broke. Why? Oh my goodness, it broke, right? If you can imagine going around not understanding the natural law of gravity, think about when we were a child, we fell down, we hit our head, we busted our elbow, our toys broke. We were utterly discontent because we didn't understand this natural law of gravity. Well, that's what's happening with these natural laws of existence is people are going around not understanding the natural law of gamma and not understanding craving anger and ignorance. And everyone's like, why is this happening? And then everybody wants to fix the world. It's the world's fault. I need to fix everyone else. And if I can just fix everyone else to do things my way, then the world's perfect and then I can be at rest. Nope. You got to develop your own wisdom. When you understand the natural laws of existence, you no longer have a desire to change the world, that you understand the world's going to be the world. You just have to understand these natural laws of existence. And when you understand them, now you can operate within these natural laws of existence with this wisdom of these natural laws. And now everything's glorious. It's like, oh, I finally understand the natural law of gravity. I can roam about the world. I can get on airplanes. I can go to far off places. I can walk across bridges and I can even have fun and jump out of an airplane with a parachute. I can even uh, rock climb and I can repel down walls and I can do all these other things uh, because now I understand the natural law of gravity. But if we don't understand these natural laws of existence, then we're going to go around making all these unwholesome decisions and they keep leading to unwholesome results. And we're just like, why is that? We don't understand it. And it's not until we understand and we deeply understand and we practice and we see the truth for ourselves and we get this wisdom that we finally, the light bulbs are going off one by one by one. And we're realizing, oh, I've been making all these unwholesome decisions. That's what's leading to all these problems. Okay, I can fix that. All I need is wisdom. So the Buddhist teachings is what gives us that wisdom. And then when we implement them and we see they're working, oh, okay, that worked. Let me do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And slowly but surely, you, you develop this wisdom through this guidance 
And now, whether it's meditation or any other aspect of the Eightfold Path, we just slowly but surely build up our life practice, making wiser and wiser decisions. The condition of the mind gets better and the condition of our life gets better. Yes, it seems that oftentimes in society we're asked to put our faith in drugs or mental illness or in politics or all of these societal things that are expected to alleviate our discontent essentially, whereas that's very disempowering. We're putting it on another person or another entity, whereas it seems like the whole purpose of these teachings is to empower ourselves. Would you say that's accurate? Yes, I think the Buddhist teachings are very empowering. That's why I don't use the translations that some people use when they say the Buddha taught life is suffering. The Buddha never taught life is suffering. That's just a a translation that people are misunderstanding. The Buddhist teachings are basically saying, hey, you have the ability to fix all of this, right? So what medication is doing, what the mental illness industry is doing is saying, oh, you poor little being, your brain is defective. None of this stuff is your fault. Um, Your brain is defective and you're sick, you're unwell. Uh, You're gonna experience these problems the rest of your life unless you start taking these medicines. And if you start taking these medicines, we'll fix that brain chemistry. Okay, you start taking the medicines. One year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 24 years, things aren't getting better, right? Well, the thing is, is if you keep taking medicine, but you're out there talking harshly, or you're making unwise decisions, you're making unwholesome decisions, it doesn't matter what you're putting into your body in terms of medicine, if you don't have the wisdom of how to make wise decisions to improve the results of what you're experiencing in life, It doesn't matter. You could be putting sugar. You could be putting flour into your body. That's not going to change anything. As long as we make unwise decisions and unwholesome decisions, it's going to produce unwholesome results. So if I put medicine into my body, but I still talk rough and harsh with people, people are going to talk rough and harsh with me. If I put medicine in my body and I go outside and steal from people, I'm still going to go to jail. If I put medicine in my body and I go outside and I lie, it's still going to produce worry and discontentedness in my mind because I have to always figure out who did I say what to who. And this person's going to say, why did you lie to me? Maybe I get beat up. Maybe I get fired from my job because I lied at work. And now I blame the boss that I got fired when in reality it was because I lied in my reports, right? So it doesn't matter what medicines you put in your body. If you don't have the wisdom of understanding how to practice moral conduct and mental discipline, this medicine isn't going to change anything about your life because you're not gaining any wisdom and the little pill can't produce wisdom. That's what dependent origination, if any of you guys are going to take the Polykin in an English study group, in volume five of that whole book series that I'm writing, this is where the Buddha talks about dependent origination. He shows you from the beginning all the way to birth of why it is that the mind experiences discontentedness. He goes step by step and he explains it step by step. He shows you how ignorance or the unknowing of true reality 
leads to all these other things and it leads to discontentedness. And when you understand that it's only a lack of wisdom, it's not that the brain's defective, it's not that you're mentally ill, it's not that your brain chemistry's off, it's just that you grew up in a culture and in a family and around people that weren't able to teach you this wisdom that you're now learning. But now the difference is, is you're an adult and you can find this wisdom on your own because the people that were in your life sustained your life. They gave you food, shelter, water, clothing, medical supplies. They got you to the point where you are now, where now you can exercise your free will and you can connect with people like me and others who are sharing these teachings. And now as you gain this wisdom as an adult, you can implement it, not only improve your life, but it's going to help your partner if you have a life partner. It's going to help your children because now with this wisdom that you didn't get as a child, you can impart that wisdom with your children and break this cycle of families just being highly discontent with each other and being disgruntled and not knowing how to have a loving family relationship. So you can break that whole cycle and the way you do that is you focus on developing your own wisdom. And then if you have a life partner, if you have children, other people that are around you that are interested in what it is that you're involved in and why your mind's so peaceful, why your mind's so calm, why you're such a loving and kind and compassionate person. And they start asking you, you're like, oh, that's the Buddhist teachings. Well, how did you learn the Buddhist teachings? Oh, here's this book. You just need to, to learn this. That's the secret that hopefully someday won't be a secret. Hopefully it'll be so widely understood in the world that more and more people will just be like, oh, this is what we're supposed to be doing in this life. So we're supposed to be gaining wisdom to make better decisions. And that leads to a better life. Are you serious? Who would have thought that? More wisdom, better decisions, better life. Wow. So simple when you hear it. But we don't know that in the unenlightened world. We go around in the unenlightened mind just thinking that everyone else is the problem. And that's that ego. That's the conceit. Us thinking that we're so perfect and it's everyone else that's the problem. So we go around in the unenlightened mind trying to fix everybody else. And we think everyone else is the problem. But when we come to be empowered by these teachings and we realize that it's really us who are causing all of this heartache and challenges in our life, then that's actually a beautiful thing when you can accept that. Because, oh, if I'm the one causing it, that means I'm the one that can fix it. Whereas if it's everyone else that's causing the problems, that's an impossible job to fix everyone else. You can't fix 7.5 billion people in the world, but you can fix one and you fix that one, life gets better. Yes, you've mentioned in the book that we may notice that the mind needs less sleep and experiences deeper sleep as it's practicing the teachings. And I suppose that relative to the state that we may have been in before when we needed drugs to sleep or we didn't sleep and we, or we slept a smaller amount and we constantly felt tired. Whereas when we're practicing the teachings, we, all of that seems to go away. That seems itself to be a testament to the effect that the teachings have on the mind relative to any other methods to absolve ourselves of these mental conditions and such. Right, because 
Carrying around craving, desire, attachment, that mental longing with a strong eagerness, chasing the objects of your affection, that's a burden to carry around. It's a very heavy burden because the mind's always chasing the objects of its affection. It thinks the next new shiny object is what's going to satisfy it. And that chase is very tiresome on the mind and it's very tiresome and burdensome on the body. So you can get to the end of your day and just feel completely wiped out. And you can sleep for many, many hours, right? 12, 14, 16 hours. The other situation is you have so many problems in your life, you don't know where to go, you don't know where to turn, you worry, you're upset, you're frustrated, you lack the wisdom, and you just see your life getting more and more challenging, and you lay awake at night worried, and the mind just worries and worries and worries about the future. And once again, that's the craving, desire, attachment. That's the burden that the mind's carrying around. So either the mind is so worried because it doesn't understand how to make good decisions, but it doesn't realize that's the problem. It just lays in bed being worried and having difficulty sleeping. So therefore you don't sleep. And then when you don't sleep, the problems get worse and worse and worse because you lack the mindfulness and concentration. And eventually, the only thing that people know to do right now is go down to the doctor and get the medicine and force the mind to sleep. But then when you take that, you end up waking up with all these side effects, this grogginess, this headaches. You have to take caffeine sometimes to get back up and bring the mind up. And all through your day, you're still lacking wisdom. You're still making unwholesome decisions all day long. But, you know, you're just using this medicine to put yourself down. But then you're using the stimulant to pick yourself back up with caffeine. But all day long, if you're still making unwholesome decisions, talking to people rough or harsh or aggressive or having sexual misconduct or stealing or lying or other things that the Buddha teaches, if you're still doing all that stuff, it's still leading to unwholesome results. But you keep taking this medicine to go down. You keep taking this stimulant to go up. This is how, I don't know if you guys know Elvis Presley. This is how Elvis Presley died, is he took a whole lot of downers to get to sleep, and he took a whole lot of uppers to get back up. And he kept doing this for so long, eventually, I think his heart gave out, if I remember correctly. Or, or something along those lines. His body just gave up. It was like, I can't take this anymore. So when we get this wisdom, we don't have to make all these unwholesome decisions. And we don't have to lie in bed at night worrying because we know the answers, right? It might take you a year, two years, three years to develop your wisdom to get to the point where you're sleeping better. It may take you six months or a year, who knows? But it's going to take some time to develop that wisdom. But as you do and you start functioning with these teachings with ease, the mind comes more to the middle. It's performing optimally. Instead of going around chasing the objects of your affection all day with craving, desire, attachment, thinking that that next shiny object is going to produce lasting, pleasant feelings, instead of chasing after these objects of your affection, you go around making wise decisions. Oh, deal with that. Done. Off to the next thing. What's next? Oh, that's what's going on. Okay, here, deal with that. Move on to the next thing. And you just deal with one thing after another 
and you know each individual decision you're making is wholesome, you can move on to the next thing and not worry about what you just did. Because if you're not sure if you just made a wholesome decision and you move on in your day, you have to worry. Did I do that right? What was that about? Did I make a good decision there? Oh my goodness, I'm not quite sure. This is really burdensome to the mind. And you still go through some of this when you first start on the path. Your mind's going to be worried about whether you did the right thing or not. But more and more as you make wiser and wiser decisions, you'll get to the point where you can make a decision. You can know that it's the right decisions. And then you can move on. And you don't have to worry about the past. In this way, the mind is in the present moment. It's functioning optimally. And you'll notice that there's less and less sleep that's needed where you can just sleep six or eight hours a day and you'll fall asleep in an instant almost. It's like being a baby again. If you remember back when you were a child, like six, eight years old, you didn't lay in bed at night worrying, right? You didn't know enough about the world to lay in bed and worry. So when you were six, eight, ten years old, you just fell asleep because your mind wasn't worried because you just woke up. What am I doing today? What am I doing right now? Oh, I'm playing with a toy. Let me play with the toy. What am I doing right now? Oh, I'm eating. Oh, what am I doing right now? I'm going to school, right? The mind as a child is, is more in the present moment. It's not worrying about the future. It's not worrying about the past. So you have this child's mind as you get to enlightenment where the mind is in the present moment it's not in the past it's not in the future but you've got this deep wisdom and with that child's mind just like it was easy to fall asleep when you were eight nine ten years old your mind will do the same thing as an adult is that your mind will be in the present moment not worried about the past not worried about the future and it'll be performing optimally in the present moment and you'll just easily sleep You'll get really deep, restful sleep. And then when you wake up, the mind having experienced that deep, restful sleep, now you go about your day just making decisions based on your wisdom and moving through life. And the mind in your life becomes very peaceful and serene and joyful because you're not having to worry and you don't have this anxiety, this stress, this discontentedness that is invading the mind. Thank you, David. That seems to be all that we have for today. All right. Well, next Wednesday, we're going to be doing loving kindness meditation. And then once again, I'll open up for questions like I typically do at the end of meditation to see what questions you guys have, whether it was about the chapter we just discussed, like James had these questions about Sunday and kind of furthering the discussion, or if you have certain things going on in your life and you would like to discuss those or how to apply these teachings in your life. We can talk about those. The more you seek guidance and try to understand these teachings and ask questions, the more you'll be able to see how to relate them to your life. And if you guys need to talk about right view, if you guys need to talk about right intention or right speech or right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, any of these steps that you're not quite understanding or you just would like to confirm your understanding, we can be talking about those because it's the Eightfold Path that leads to enlightenment. You should know this Eightfold Path inside, outside, backwards, forwards, left, right, just utterly soaked into the mind. Now, you're not going to get that in three months or six months. 
this program has been going on for six months. But over the course of your studies with the Buddhist teachings, that's what you need to do is you need to get to the point where you know this path inside, outwards, backwards, forwards, left, right, up, down, because by the more you understand this Eightfold Path, the more you can function with it and you can make wise decisions in your day through this Eightfold Path. So as we go for the next little bit of our program here, I think we have another three or four weeks left, be sure that you deeply understand the Eightfold Path and all these other teachings that we're sharing. Now, when we restart this program on September 1st, that's when we're restarting it, I will restart the program the same way that I started it this time, is that we're going to have three classes based on the Eightfold Path. We're going to do one that's about the wisdom, which is right view and right intention, really exploring just those two steps. Then we're going to do a class on the moral conduct, right speech, right action, right livelihood. Then we're going to do another one on right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration on the mental discipline. We're going to really soak into that. So you'll see the schedule online if you have the link to know where to find that. If you don't have the link, let me know or look in the Facebook group and you'll be able to see it. If you click on any of the links that say group learning program, you'll see the schedule of classes every Sunday and every Wednesday right here. We'll be going through a chapter of this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. On Sunday, I'll be covering the full chapter. And then on Wednesdays, we'll be doing breathing mindfulness meditation, loving kindness, and Buddhist chanting. And I'm going to do the same thing where I'm going to do a series of four classes on breathing mindfulness meditation, deeply soaking into it. And then after we do that, we'll do loving kindness, a series of four, and then Buddhist chanting. So we're going to ramp up the new restart of the group learning program the same way that we started this one. So you're welcome to retake this program all over again, starting September 1st. It would be really wise to do that, to really soak the teachings into the mind. You can also join the Saturday class, the Pali Canon in English study group, where we're using volumes two through volume 13, which are purely the words of the Buddha. And that program is restarting this Saturday. And what you do is you read the book before class and then you come to class with questions. And it's 10 chapters. It sounds like a lot, but it's not the same type of 10 chapters of this book. The chapters are sometimes just like two paragraphs. Uh, so they're, they're relatively short. It'll take you about an hour to read, but you kind of want to spread that out over kind of 10 or 15 minutes a day and then kind of spread that out and come to class with questions. So that happens on Saturday. We start with meditation on Saturday for about 15 minutes or so, 10, 20 minutes. And then afterwards, I open up the class to any questions. So here, starting August 7th, which is this Saturday, we're going to restart the Pali Canon in English study group, starting with volume two, chapters one through 10. And you're welcome to come to those classes on Saturdays and join and participate in the classes there. And we're going to continue this program too, so that this Sunday we're going to be in chapter 23, which is the symbolism of the teachings through imagery. This is sharing with you how certain symbols, certain artwork, certain statues are used to help you remember 
the teachings. So now that you've learned the teachings in this program, I can teach you about these symbols so that when you see them in artwork or you see them at the temple or you see them in different publications, it reminds you of the teachings. And this is how the Buddha taught, is that he taught orally, but then he used symbols like a wheel with eight spokes or a lotus flower or other things that you'll see on Sunday's class to remind you about certain aspects of the teachings. So if you've already studied the teachings like you have in this program, now when I share this symbolism with you, it'll help you be, give you a quick refresher. And it's kind of fun when you learn this stuff because then you can go around in temples and you can look at artwork and you can deeply understand what it is that is being shared with the architecture of temples or statues or artwork. You can kind of decipher what the artist is actually sharing. So some of these temples in Thailand are 800, 1,000 years old. And you can walk into a temple and you can see artwork that's you know, 800, 1,000 years old. And you can understand what it was that those people were trying to communicate. It's almost like a scavenger hunt and kind of deciphering messages from the past. I don't live in Egypt. and I've never been to the Egyptian temples. Basim could probably tell us but it's probably really fun to walk into an Egyptian temple and or an Egyptian pyramid and look at the, the drawings and to kind of decipher what were these people trying to tell us from so many thousands of years ago. And the more you understand those writings on the wall, the more interesting it is to probably visit these pyramids in Egypt. So it's kind of the same thing when you understand this imagery in the Buddhist culture that you can look at Buddhist artwork, you can go to Buddhist temples, and you can kind of decipher what it is that people were telling us from the past. Uh, so that's what we'll be doing on Sunday. So you're welcome to join any of these classes, download the books, continue your learning, develop your practice where you're meditating each day, where you're doing a little bit of reading or attending a class or something like this and reach out to your teacher as you need help. That's what I'm here for. You're never burdening me. You're never going to be able to make me upset or frustrated or irritated or annoyed. I'm never going to be discontent that you've contacted me. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to help you guys. So as you need help, send a private message, post a, a post in Facebook, schedule a personal guidance session or ask questions in these classes and as you do you'll build up your practice more and more gaining wisdom so that you eradicate that ignorance or unknowing of true reality which leads to the whole unraveling of all of this discontentedness this whole massive amount of discontentedness in the unenlightened mind you unravel it by attaining wisdom so thank you all for your questions. Thank you all for your participation and your interest to learn these teachings. I'll see you either Sunday, Wednesday, or Saturday. Have a lovely rest of your day. Sawadikap. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. 
A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.